media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 13 primarily. Uh, anybody ever do the I Spy books, either when you were little or with your kids, the I Spy books, or the Where's Waldo? Have you, have you ever done either one of those things? Were there ever a time that you were opening up a Where's Waldo or an I Spy book that, you know, you're able to find several, maybe not super easy, but, you know, somewhat easy, a little bit more difficult. But have you ever come upon one of those Where Waldos or those I Spies where you're going, it's not on this page? <laughs> And I mean, you are looking everywhere. You have scoured, you have taken each section of that, you've kind of condensed it down, and you're going, there is no Waldo here. And there is no whatever that you're looking for in the I Spy. And we come to that place where we're going, okay, I just can't find it. And then all of a sudden, maybe somebody else comes along, but there's Waldo right there. What, are you blind? And all of a sudden, we're going, it was there all the time. We just didn't grasp it. We just didn't find it. We just didn't have it in our view. Well, I think that contentment is like that a lot of times. That when we read the biblical story and we see the account of what God has promised for his people, those that have put their faith and their trust for their own salvation in the work of Jesus Christ, there's this contentment that he says that we will have in Christ. And that phrase, in Christ, is the description given to New Testament believers. And, and yet, as we open up our true, uh, the, the truth about our lives, sometimes it's hard to be content. And so I don't know about you, if you just looked at this past week, would you say, okay, man, I am the picture of contentment? Or would you say, I have a lot of little spots of discontent? Or would you have looked even this past week and say, you know, pretty much, if you had to characterize my week, it was one of total discontent. And so this morning, I have a lot of questions for you. Because in one way, this is very theological. In another way, it's kind of philosophical. Another one, it's very practical. And, and so the questions that will be kind of given to you this morning, we hope to answer biblically because we want just biblical truth. And yet some of these, you know, maybe find different opinions depending on who you ask. First one this morning, contentment. Is it more emotional, mental, spiritual, or physical? Think about that a second. I don't mind there to be a little bit of silence and us to pause, to, to ponder that. This uh, contentment, where is that? Is that a source of the heart? Is it a source of the mind? Is it part of the body, the physical? Is it just a spiritual? Is it something really, really deep in our soul? I don't know what answer you've come up with in your mind, but in a way I think that we could say that it's related to all of those. But most, I, I think that we would say that, you know, it maybe really is a spiritual matter. See, I actually can make a case for each one of those answers. A discontentment comes when our heart breaks over something. And so emotional. All of a sudden we had one desire. Maybe we were in a relationship and that relationship didn't turn out. And all of a sudden we know that emotional heartbreak and the discontent of that. Sometimes it's that we think that there's a better way. You have something in your mind, maybe it was even something as trivial as a vacation or a getaway, and then all of a sudden that week at the beach... It rains every day. And so there's discontent. We've spent thousands of dollars. We've got the beach house, and it's storming outside. Pretty trivial in the big picture of things. 
And yet, would you not say that that's a part of discontent, at least over that temporary thing? Certainly, I could make a case that discontentment is a part of the soul, and it's a yearning for something. And even the physical. When you don't feel good, I mean, when you really don't feel good, is there a measure of discontent, even from that physical pain that you're experiencing? So the way that God made us, he made us, you know, with all of those, with emotions, with uh, a thinking process, uh, a physical part of our lives, and certainly at our core, we have a soul. We are spiritual beings. And yet discontent can come from any of those places. And that's why this morning when we begin to, to think about discontent or being content, it's really kind of hard to find. Maybe there's times in our lives that, like I spy and Where's Waldo? Not trying to trivialize it, but we're going, I don't think contentment is even a possibility. It's not on my page. I don't think I even have the capability of that. Or have you ever found contentment? And then it was like trying to hold on to, to, to jello. I'm trying to nail jello to a wall. But it was just hard to grasp. It was here, but then all of a sudden, the next day, something happens in your life, and it's gone. What is the call for the New Testament Christian? What what is the call for the children of God who've placed their faith and trust in the finished work of Christ? Should we be an example? Should we be a picture of contentment no matter what? Because that's what we're going to see in the scripture this morning, that that Paul gets to a place and he says, you know, I've learned to be content no matter what the stage. Well, man, I'm in your class then, Mr. Paul. Because if you learn that, and maybe you reach that place... I want to send you your class because I want to learn that. Because in my life, contentment is, is like the wind. It blows this way and then it blows that way. And as long as the Braves are winning, I'm content in the trivial things like that. And then all of a sudden, I mean, what if, what if Charleston had beaten UGA yesterday? I mean, there'd be people praying this morning at the altar. <laughs> God be gracious, you know. I mean, even trivial things. We're not trying to make fun of this because this is a really, really important matter, folks. This is a matter for many, many people of their marriage and their family, their relationship with their kids. Maybe it's it's an economic thing right now where they're going, I, we simply do not even have the money to pay the bills and we just got the gas bill and it's double what it was. These are real matters, not to trivialize. But where do we find our contentment? We say things like, well, it must be just for the super spiritual people like Paul. Maybe it's just for the, those people that maybe were called to be apostles. Or, or It's only for people who have it all together. And I don't. The theory is right. You know, I believe that maybe theologically we could be content people, but the reality is impossible. I mean, have you ever kind of thought those things? Here's one of my firm beliefs. If the word of God says that God has promised it, I do believe that it's a possibility. I'm not saying that it's an automatic, but because it's guaranteed on the work of Christ and not on us, I think that it's a very real possibility. So this distance between our hearts of contentment, a mind of contentment, and and the actual being content in all things, it's not God's lack of delivering somewhere. We need to be better learners. Paul says this near the end of his life. 
I notice he doesn't say it in his early years of ministry. I don't know that he even comes to that place in the midpoint of his ministry. He comes there near the end. And yet, when we see him say these these words, I don't know, it's inspiring? It's convicting? Kind of intimidating? I I mean, how do you take this? Philippians 4.11 Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Would we put a photograph of our picture, our face, beside that and hang on the wall and go, yeah, this pretty much character, if you just want to sum me up, this is me. I don't know that any of us, what a challenge that is to be content. In one way, doesn't it seem so right? But in another way, so distant at times? Now think about it for a second. What would it really, you know, wouldn't it be great to, to be content all the time? No matter what. Because that's really kind of what he says there. I've learned to be content whatever situation I'm in. No no matter what. I don't have to have this. I don't have to that. Whether it's rainy or shiny. Whether I just got hired or I just got fired. Whether my favorite team won or they lost. I've learned to be content. And this is what the Apostle Paul said that he learned. I really want you to notice that word learn there. Because I do think it's a learning process. And I would hope that as we would mature more and more and more in Jesus Christ, as we would walk with Christ, we would be able to learn that. Now, some of that's going to come because we just look back and we're going, God, even those times that I thought the world was falling apart, I saw your faithfulness. I've shared this with you before. It means a lot to me when, when somebody that would be 15 or 16 years old and go, you know, I've walked with God all these years and I have found him to be faithful. That means a lot. But when an 81 or an 82-year-old comes up and says, man, I've walked with God all these years. More importantly, he's walked with me and I have found him faithful. All of a sudden, just that tenure, all of a sudden that stretch of time going, okay, it's great that a 15, 16-year-old can say that. But man, how wonderful it is that at 85 could say, I look back on my life, all the ups and the downs and all the challenges, all the rainy days and, and all the sunshine days, and I found him faithful. So is that Paul? Just we have to wait till we're in our 80s? Do we just have to wait till later and all of a sudden we have a perspective? Now let me give you a little bit of perspective of the context of this verse. Paul's in prison. Uh, different churches have contributed to his ministry. Uh, kind of him, he as a missionary. And the church in Philippi has sent an offering. It took a while to get there. It wasn't just, uh, you know, he sent it one day and it got there the next day. And so it was uh, delayed. And, and Paul is thanking them for that. But that's when he makes the statement, you know, I appreciate it. I love you. How wonderful it is that you're part of this ministry. But I've learned that whether I have this or whether I don't have this, I've learned to be content. That's the context of this. It's also in the context that he's awaiting a beheading. And he doesn't know when that beheading's going to come, but it's his own beheading. He will die. He knows that God has already told him. If we go back and read Acts and we kind of line up the epistles with Acts, we find out that Paul went around. There were people that would come by when he was in prison and they would say, you know, this is probably the last time that we're going to see one another. Paul was made aware of it. They were made aware of it. And they said their goodbyes. Go back and read in Acts where it says some of those things. So Paul is waiting for his death, this beheading. He says, I'm going to be content. 
no matter what the circumstances. I've, I've, I've learned to be content without an asterisk, without only if this happens, only if this happens. How do we get there? On your bulletin this morning, uh, usually the, the, there's a, a place. Well, it's not on there. Do you have two questions on yours? A bulletin. I apologize. In version 2.0, it was on there. And obviously I printed version 1.0. <laughs> so here's what you're going to do this morning. Okay. You're going to, if you have a pen, you can write down right there on the bulletin or, or anywhere, anywhere on there you can write down. I will be content if I can just get blank. Okay? Actively do that. Okay? Actively do that either mentally, I'd prefer to you to do it kind of, you know, physically. I will be content if I can just get blank. And fill in something that, that really truly, truly would maybe bring in a little bit more contentment. You can be super spiritual and you can, you know, put that or you can say, a raise, you know, <laughs> you, you can say that. Okay, uh, underneath that, I, I want you to write this question. I would be content if I can just get rid of blank. Okay, that one may come a little bit more automatic. Okay, if I could just get rid of blank, I'd be a little bit more content. This job, this cold, this debt, whatever it might be. Now, I want you to think through that a little bit as we read verse 12. Look at Philippians 4.12. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. When we begin to ask our questions, or when we fill in the blanks, now, again, you may not actually do that exercise. I I wish that you would, because I think it's a healthy one. I think it's one that kind of brings to our mind. I would be more content if blank. I'd be more content if I could just get rid of blank. Because I think that's how our mind operates a lot of times. That somehow contentment is something that's evasive from us because there's either something in our life that we don't like or there's something missing from our life that we wish he had. I mean, it's very practical. Theology, good theology, is so practical and it's it's living itself out. But how would you answer those questions this morning? See, the main problem is that this mentality, I I wish if I had this or if I didn't have this, we've attached contentment with change. Is that what the Apostle Paul did? He didn't say, okay, only if I don't get beheaded. I mean, would that be an evil request? No, there's nothing unspiritual about that. I mean, he, he could even make it very, very spiritual. I, I would be more content if this happened and that happened. Uh, Brian Debbie, I think that when y'all went over, did y'all see one of the, the prison cells that Paul was in? And it's kind of humbling, isn't it? To think that he would write this, and you're looking down there going, there is nothing, this is not the picture of contentment. That This is not a family around the Thanksgiving table and a big old turkey, and the, you know how the, they kind of pictured the little aroma and the little steam coming off the table. And everybody's smiling, and little Junior's looking there like, okay, can I have the drumstick? I mean, that's the kind of pictures that we think, that's contentment. That's what the holidays are all about. But what if you don't have a happy family? What if your husband and your wife, 
I don't, I don't want to be married anymore. What if your children are, are wayward? What if, what if you're wayward? All of a sudden we begin to see that this picture of contentment, what we have in our mind, I wish I just had a family. I just wish I had a happy family. I just wish I had this, that, and the other. Or I just wish I could get rid of this dilemma. I mean, I can really see that. Are you talking about a baby when I get sick? Carly can vouch for that. Oh my goodness. Man, I am six foot one, 214 pounds of wine. Not, 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 not that. No, wah, you know. The world is coming in. I heard. I mean, so you just take this away and then I'll be, I'll be content. Does that make sense to you? Kind of what we're doing here? That learning content, that our natural reaction is, okay, if I had this or if I didn't have this, either to add something to our lives or to take something away from our lives, and that suddenly if these things happened magically in our lives, that we would have contentment. And Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't put any conditions whatsoever. He says, in any and every circumstance. Any and every circumstance in verse 12. Wow, what a challenge. And so we can do two things with this, guys. We can do two things. We can feel really guilty that we're not quite there. Or we can say, I want to learn. Since you had to learn this, Paul, God, will you you let me be a learner? Will you let me be a student? Because I I do want that. Because I know that it's right. I, I, I believe that that's the right thing. So I want to be a learner. And I pray that you would pick the latter instead of the former. I I I don't know that God is just telling us these things so that we can feel guilty and that we all go out of here on this Thanksgiving week and go, man, I feel I'm about that big. Because I see a lot of discontent in my life. Or contentment would only come if I added this or if I took away that. I don't know that that's the, 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 the part of God's word this morning. It does correct us. But ultimately, God's word is edifying to to help us to grow. And so if you're in Christ Jesus, that is, if you've trusted the work of Christ, now the very spirit of God resides within you. And yes, it will correct us. And it will even discipline us because he loves us. But the end isn't just a discipline in that we feel really bad about ourselves. The end is that we would mature and more and more become like Christ. So how do we have this spiritual element in our life that affects our mental, our emotional, our physical, and everything else. In fact, we can really even count it the other way. Have you ever been in a place of contentment, or at least seemingly contentment, and you're going, okay, good God, don't change anything. Have you ever been that way? <laughs> this is like a really good place. Remember when when the disciples go up, the three disciples go up with Jesus at the transfiguration, and I mean, they're just, they're, they're seeing the transfigured Christ. They're seeing the holiness of God, the power of God. They see this visual display. And do you remember what one of them said? We need to build tents and stay here. <laughs> because when we go back down, we remember what that was down there. So let's stay in this place of contentment. Do you think that they found contentment when they saw the holiness of Christ, the power, the authority, the supremacy of Christ? I mean, isn't that where you'd want to build a tent and stay? 
So this can happen in two different ways, folks. We can get to a place when we're kind of satisfied, maybe not always in spiritual things, but just kind of where we are in life. God, don't change anything. And yet, would you agree that change happens? Big question, how did Paul learn this? More important question to us this morning, (laughs) how can we learn it? What what did he learn? Look at verse 13. I I would challenge the most misquoted verse, perhaps in all the Bible. (laughs) Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is not a sports verse. This is not a, uh, I've got to pass the bar exam. I've got to get my CPA. I, I'm not saying that it can't have some application to those things, but this is not a human achievement kind of verse. This is an, okay, two strikes, the bottom of the ninth, and I'm up, and the bases are loaded, and we need some runs. But, you know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there goes the ball. That's not the context of this, guys. Paul has just established that he is content in Christ Jesus no matter what circumstances. What is it that he's learned? What is it that's enabled him to say that with any type of truthfulness? He has found satisfaction in Christ Jesus. Not to hit the home run, not to get the raise, not to do this, that, or the other, but sometimes in the depth of a jail cell, with no human comfort whatsoever around him, that he could say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Remember that Paul suffered shipwrecks, beatings, snake bites more than once, imprisonment. He's facing a beheading here. And yet he says, I've learned to be content. Why? Because I've learned that Jesus is enough. Have you learned that? Are you in the process of learning that? I think it's okay to be in the process of learning that. I I would love to be farther along in that journey than I am right now. Would you? (laughs) But would you agree that that's number one, a theological possibility and a practical possibility for the Christian. Would you, would you say to really learn, I can do all things through him. That is, I can face anything without any asterisks, without the absence of this, take away this and then I'll be content. Or you have to add this and then I'll be content. Can we really say deep within our soul? Because this is a spiritual issue, folks, at, at, at its basis. This is the condition of the soul. It affects the heart. It affects the mind. But it's a spiritual condition. So here's the hope. We may not be there yet. Maybe we haven't learned it. But would you be willing to to be in the learning process? I mean, maybe it took Paul all of his life to get to that point. Where we could truly say to God, "There's, I, I don't need a change in my circumstances. All I need is the sufficiency of Christ. It sounds so spiritual. You know why? Because <laughs> it is. It really is, guys. Please take this biblical truth. At your core, who you really are is a spiritual being. Okay? 
And, and we have height and width and <laughs> eye color and this. And there's a lot of things that distinguish us, but at our core, we are spiritual beings. And at the core of this whole element of contentment is a spiritual need. The answer sounds very, very spiritual because it is, but it's very practical. Good theology always leads to really good practical things. So I'm going to give you two things to keep in mind of how we can learn. Number one, we need to learn more about the basis of the battle. One of the things that we need to learn is the basis of the struggle that we're in, the basis of the battle. Where does discontent come from? Anybody anybody want to guess? Pride. Yeah, pride. I heard some other really good answers. At the core, what do you think that is a spiritual battle? That it came in the fall. Okay? Let me challenge you on that. Let's go back to Genesis 2 and 3. Okay? And what we see is that there's this contentment. And yes, the fall directly, please, please hear all this. The fall has directly, we were born in discontent, okay? But let's go back and look what happened in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. God creates Adam and Eve, and he provides a whole forest. I mean, you're talking about a buffet like you've never seen before? I mean, a buffet. You can eat from all these things, but you can't eat from this one tree in the middle of the garden. So all this liberty, all this supply, and just one thing that's prohibited from them. He forbids only one thing. And yet the serpent comes along, the evil one, Satan. And what does he bring up? The one thing. Now, have they sinned yet? Have they sinned yet? No. But they were created what we call fallibly perfect. Not trying to be real heady or theological, but Fallibly, that is, they could make decisions and they could make right decisions or wrong decisions. So they're fallible. God is infallible. The Word of God, infallible. It's not capable of mistruth. But Adam and Eve were created perfect by God. There's no sin in them. And yet, they were fallibly perfect. They could make decisions. And so up to this point, they are not sinful. And yet, what is the first thing that Satan comes and he begins to tempt them? Hey, get get your eyes off the provision of God. These thousands and thousands of trees. And look at the one thing that's prohibited. Do you think that Satan really has changed his mode of operation over these years? Isn't it amazing that sometimes it comes down as simple as one thing? I've done a lot of counseling in all these years. And in the midst of counseling, we begin to, to kind of get down to the core issues. And sometimes it is just, well, just God, I just wish you would give me this one thing. I wish you would just take away this one thing. Isn't that similar to the question that we asked before? That somehow contentment is this elusive thing because this one thing is missing or this one thing is present and we just wish that God would take it away. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that is the one thing that God had prohibited. And the one thing that the serpent says, hey, you're missing out. 
They had not experienced discontent until it was apparent to them that one thing God prohibited. Are you making that connection? They're still fallibly perfect, but they're still perfect. They haven't sinned yet. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. In other words, I'm missing something. If you add this, I'm going to be better. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who's with her and he ate. And then what happens? Look at verse 7, guys. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. We take that word naked to mean they didn't have clothes on. And certainly it applied there. The nakedness, though, is the vulnerability that instantly they felt that they had never felt before. Isn't that where discontent comes into our life, this vulnerability? If I just had this, then I wouldn't be as vulnerable. I mean, how many of y'all, let's just put it down to the financial terms because, you know, numbers we can kind of work. How many of y'all, if somebody just decided to gift you $100,000 right now that and they did it during the service and, and you're going home today, how many of you would be a little bit more content going home than when you came? I mean, just be honest. And if you are not saying yes, you are a liar. You need to come pray at the end of the service. Now, I'm not saying that it's the ultimate. I'm not saying that having money is the ultimate source of contentment. Please don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, all of a sudden, something that maybe we said was a little bit lacking, if I just had this, I would find a little bit more contentment. Maybe not for the soul, but at least for the mind or the heart. I wouldn't be worried. I wouldn't be stressed. It's a spiritual battle. And so guess what? Spiritual battles require spiritual solutions. And, and when, when we don't fight this on a spiritual level, guys, we're, we're not fighting it well. If we're going to learn the solution of a spiritual battle, then we have to realize that it really is a spiritual solution. And that's where we often go looking for change. That's where we try to add or we try to take away. You just take this away if you just add this. And yet it's a spiritual problem. So we need to learn the basis of the battle number two. And this is going to sound so spiritual. Because it is. We need to find, uh, we need to learn more about the source of sufficiency. That's the real meaning behind Philippians 4.13. I don't think that when the Apostle Paul, inspired by the, the, the Holy Spirit of God, wrote that, I didn't think he said, you know, there's going to be a day that a lot of people are going to be using this. And they're going to have this on their bumper sticker. They're going to have it on the wall. They'll probably crochet this and put this right in the middle of things because it's going to be so inspiring. I don't think that the Paul had that in mind. What he's relating to us is what he had found, the reality of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. And we find that because he, he goes on to write. In fact, look down at verse 19. This is what he learned. If we want to learn what Paul learned, what did he learn? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
This is the foundation of contentment in life, folks. Well, Pastor, I, I respectfully disagree because I prayed and prayed and prayed that we would have the money to, to, to pay these bills. I'm not talking about getting rich. I'm just saying pay the bills. And, and we're still just poor. We, we don't know how we're going to do this. We're not minimizing all these other circumstances. But there's a core. You were created spiritual beings. You have a soul. And the problem of contentment is not money. It can be affected by money. It's not relationships. It can be affected by relationships. At the core, it's a spiritual condition. Do I trust the sufficiency of a loving God and a Christ that gave his life for me? Well, Bobby, that just sounds so theological, so spiritual. Because it is. It really is. This is a spiritual battle. Paul himself had to learn that. Paul asked God to change his circumstances. Go real quick, 2 Corinthians 12. A very familiar passage to many of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10. He just didn't do it one time. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. What was his thing? I would be more content if you would just take this away. <laughs> Did he pray it once? Did he plead twice? I think he did a lot more than three. I think he's just saying, okay, I know of three times that I really did plead, plead like out loud. So what he's saying, okay, God, if you change my circumstances, in this case, if you take something away that is hurting to me. Verse 9, but he said to me, now how many of y'all have a Bible that is red letter edition that has, okay, what is about to be said to him? What color are the letters here? The red. Where is this coming from? From Christ, from God. He didn't say, you know, and then I read in a book by Billy Graham. I heard a pastor say. He said, God told me. Christ told me. He personalized this to me. What did he say? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I believe with all my heart. I, I would stop preaching today. I'd have to stop preaching today if I did not think that that was a truth, that our God sees us in our lack of contentment, that he sees us in our brokenness and our sinfulness, and we cry out and go, okay, God, I, I want to be content. I want to be satisfied in the sufficiency of Christ. If I did not believe that God in heaven personally hears that and that he has personally provided the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in our lives. I have nothing to preach, guys, if this is not true. But if it is true, then let's be learners. Let's be learners. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Okay, I'm learning the sufficiency of Christ. Just to let you know where your pastor is on this learning process, I'm not there yet. I'm not going around, you know, man, here's all the deficiencies of my life. Man, here's my weaknesses. I'm not boasting about them. I may recognize them. I haven't reached the point where I'm going, man, Christ is so sufficient. I'm actually boasting about my weaknesses. I have a lot to learn. And maybe you have a lot to learn. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10 
for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. You don't have to take these things away from me to be content. I don't have to have these things added for me to be content. I'm finding my contentment in Christ Jesus. And he says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What did he learn? What did he learn, folks? What did he learn? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Holy God, Holy Creator God, Jesus Christ Himself, letters of red will speak that to you guys. It's either truth or it's not. And if it's not, let's disband and, 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 and never meet again because it'd be foolish without this. But if this is truth, then it is life changing. That holy God, mighty God would speak to you and to you and to you and to you and to me. My grace is sufficient for you, Bobby. My grace is sufficient for you. Without changing a thing, I've already changed what needed to be changed. You were lost and you were found. You were dead and I made you alive. You were blind and I made you to see. That's where you find your contentment, Bobby. Where did Paul start? Change this. Take this away. I plead it three times. What did God tell him? My grace is sufficient. What did Paul learn? Contentment in Christ, with or without change. Here's the final question of the morning. Do you believe that the grace that Paul talks about in that verse that was supplied to him is just as available and just as sufficient to you if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ this morning? We're agreeing it's a learning process. We're agreeing that it's a hard process. But in the end, it will be a life-changing process. We'll end with this, 2 Corinthians 9.8. And the context is this is about being a cheerful giver. I want to make sure that we always keep it in context. And so it has kind of that that context to it, but I do think it's a spiritual truth that, that very much can be in, in other areas of our lives. And God says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All, all, all. In what? In him changing this circumstance or taking this away? That heart? No, in Christ Jesus. This is where we find our sufficiency. Well, Pastor, that's just really spiritual. Yeah, it is. It really is. I'm not going to reduce it down to a practical, do these three things. Here's your checklist for the week. Sometimes we trivialize the Word of God when we try to make it a battle of the mind or the battle of the heart. Those are affected, but the core is the soul and the spirit. It's a spiritual battle. It can only be solved spiritually. Christ did that. Now we accept that in faith, and then we will find calmness for the heart, calmness for the mind, no matter what the circumstances. Let's pray together this morning. Father, will you help us to be learners this morning? If this is something that Paul learned, 
then he's admitting he was not always like this. It didn't come automatic. He just didn't get saved and all of a sudden he had full contentment in Christ Jesus. Father, I think you use those words purposely to show us that even someone like the Apostle Paul had to grow each and every day, week by week, month by month, and year by year in understanding how sufficient your grace is. So, Father, today, will you help us to rest in that? This Thanksgiving season, Father, when we look at a world that is so broken, so full of so many different things that can bring angst and strife and fear, will you help us? This little church called Cornerstone. Say, we want to learn, Father, of the sufficiency of Christ. We, we've got that as a theological truth. We want to learn that in, in, a, in a real practical way, Father. So, Father, this week when I plead with you to remove this thorn, if you do it, great. But, Father, if you don't, help me to find my contentment in Christ Jesus. Father, when I'm looking for contentment by adding something in, if I just had this, Father, will you show me the richness of the spiritual blessings that I have, that I am a son of the living God, that I have a home in heaven forever and ever and ever, that you've taken every one of my sins and you've washed them away and you've made me as white as snow when my sins were like scarlet. Father, help us to see who we are in Christ even this morning. So we love you, Father. We thank you. And as we depart, and Father, as many are on the road already and others would depart this week and go and travel, Father, help us truly just to to pray your blessing one amongst the, the others, Father. We love you and thank you as we pray this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.